Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Here we are together at Torah study this morning. I'm Pastor Scott, and uh, there's my bride. It'll be 40 official years uh, on July 2nd of this year, and uh, most of it was holy deadlock. Uh, thank God, now it's holy wedlock. I love you, honey. And, uh, and keep us in prayer. Uh, we're going, Pastor May, uh, he, I think he said this already, he may say it again today. We're, we're leaving for Washington, D.C. in the morning. Uh, and a pastor has been asked by the Israeli government to host a private viewing uh, for Christian and Jewish leaders at the Israel Embassy in D.C. showing uh, the, uh, the IDF film of all the atrocities that occurred so that we keep America's feet to the fire to never forget whose side we're on. How many of you are on God's side? Amen. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. So we're going to stand with Israel. That's Tuesday morning or afternoon at the uh, embassy. And then on Wednesday, we're going to Capitol Hill and interview some politicians for the TV broadcast. Why is it important for America to stand with Israel? So it'll be a, a, a good and productive time for the kingdom of God. Amen. Say amen. amen. We're Baptocostal, Judeo-Christian around here. So. so we're in Torah study number 16 uh, all this past week. Uh, it changes on Sunday, uh, but we study what we've looked at the whole week. And this has been in the book of Exodus 13, chapter 13 through Exodus 17. And uh, today we're going to get into some of the lessons from Israel versus Amalek. Because this is where Amalek attacks Israel coming out of Egypt. And uh, up until this point, Israel has been on an incredible journey, as we all know. Uh, God has delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh out of the bondage of Egypt. Uh, and uh, now they're on their way to the promised land via Mount Sinai. Uh, but there's going to be some battles along the way. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Fortunately, the scripture says that we have powerful spiritual weapons to win every battle. Amen? 2 Corinthians 10. The weapons of our warfare are not from man, they're from God, and they are mighty. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So turn and tell somebody we are a prevailing church. Amen. 
So here we are uh, in our study in the book of Exodus. We've already seen God's amazing grace at work. Uh, We've seen his redeeming power. There's no way Israel can be set free on their own. They need amazing grace just like you and I need amazing grace. Uh, We've witnessed Moses declare, let my people go. And we need to continue to declare that over our family, our loved ones, people that are in our sphere of influence in our orbit that are struggling or may not know the Lord as their Savior. And in prayer, we need to declare, let that person go in the name and by the blood of Jesus. In Israel's story, we've watched uh, ten plagues, ten acts of God's uh, judgment against evil. God judges evil. He gives everyone a chance to repent. He's patient and long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. But there's a time when the clock runs out. The sand is no longer in the timer. It's run out. And, uh, and this is what has happened with Pharaoh in Egypt. And the tenth and final plague, of course, is the death of the firstborn that strikes that final and fatal blow that uh, leads Israel out of bondage and uh, uh, towards God's perfect will. And uh, when you study that, and we talked about this uh, recently, uh, it's God's mercy at work. When he says to Israel, take for yourselves a lamb and sacrifice that Passover lamb and apply the blood on the doorposts of your house, we do that in our lives. And God said the angel of death will have to pass over. No question about it. No wondering. The angel of death was had no alternative but to pass over. And we just need to get that in our minds. That by the power of the our Passover lamb, Yeshua, that the devil and all of his work has to pass over our lives. And we need to continue to declare that. Amen. You just don't do that once at the altar and then, you know, uh, go back to Netflix. You do that every day of your life, sometimes twice a day and more. Why? Because it's the power of the blood, the power of the cross, the power of the word, the power of your testimony, the power of your declaration that helps you uh, go from being overcome to being an overcomer. Who likes the idea of being an overcomer? Amen. So, pastor has a great revelation on that, the seven places Jesus shed his blood. If you don't know that revelation in its entirety, uh, we know the author of the book. <laughs> and, uh, and so, the study today uh, leads Israel to the Red Sea. And it's the final nail in the coffin for Pharaoh. Uh, His army's completely annihilated. Uh, And what's happening at the Red Sea is an illustration, a shadow, a type of baptism. 
How many of you know the scripture in Mark 16 that says, Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Uh, that's a little variation to a lot of what we believe. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, that's true. Uh, it was true for the thief on the cross. He called on the name of the Lord. And uh, this day thou shalt be with me forever in paradise. But if you're not planning on dying at, by sundown, there might be more to the story. I didn't have time to get baptized. All right, you're still in. Get in the right line. You're in. But if you're going to, how many of you, if the Lord would tarry, would like to live uh, a long and prosperous life until you're uh, up into the Willard Scott age? Remember Willard Scott on today's show, he'd always celebrate uh, the 100th birthday. Well, that's where baptism comes in and other things. But in this case, Mark 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. So what does baptism have to do with salvation? Because uh, in ancient wisdom, in our DNA, God shows us that the baptismal tank, which in Hebrew is called the mikvah, is a way that God uses to cleanse us and sanctify us, to wash away every stain of sin, to wash away every curse that might have been passed down to us from our ancestors, and to uh, cleanse our inner man, uh, and to remove things that might be blocking the blessing. Who has every blessing you could ever want in your life and don't need anything else? Who could use just a little something more? A little something, something. Paul teaches in Romans 6 that baptism identifies us with not only the death, but the resurrection of the Lord. And it's the resurrection that is the key, because without the resurrection, uh, Paul says, our faith is in vain. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says, dwells in you. Meaning that there is a pathway to living in resurrection power. And so, he that is, uh, believes and is baptized, when you see Israel going through the Red Sea, they come out on the other side victorious. And when they, they come out on the other side and they see Pharaoh's army destroyed, uh, they instantly break into a prophetic song. And I wish we had time to read it in Exodus 15. It's a beautiful song. We used to sing uh, back in the uh, old uh, charismatic Pentecostal Assembly of God days. We used to sing that song. I have triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. Who, who, anybody remember that old, old couple hands there? 
Exodus 15.1 says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and its rider thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God. I will exalt him, the the Lord is a man of war. The Lord Yahweh is his name. We can't get into this now, but in the book of Revelation, they sing this song. Talks about they sing the song of the Lamb and they sing the song of Moses in heaven. Isn't that amazing? So. They sing this song, and the journey continues. They go to this place called Mara. Uh, it's an oasis, but the water is bitter. And Moses, uh, under the instructions of God, throws in uh, some wood, a tree, a and makes that bitter water into living water, sweet water. Uh, and it's also at this time that God begins to miraculously send manna from heaven. He teaches them on the Sabbath, and everything is looking rosy, peachy, keen. We are in, smack dab in the will of God, uh, and all of a sudden, in that, Amalek attacks. And it's no coincidence that Amalek attacks. There's definite reasons why Amalek attacks and there's lessons to be learned and so that's the rest of our less, uh, uh, lesson today is what can we learn from Israel versus Amalek what does the Lord want us to see out of this story and so the first lesson we need to learn is that Amalek's attack which is a type and a shadow of the devil's attack against us, came immediately on the heels of some complaining and murmuring. Israel had it so good, but suddenly they run out of some supplies, or they seem to be running out of supplies, they're running out of some food and water, and suddenly they forget we serve a miracle-working God. And they look to their circumstance instead of looking to Almighty God, and their faith goes away, fear comes in, and they begin to complain and murmur against God. And it's a powerful example of death and life being in the power of our words. See, even though uh, God had brought Israel out of Egypt, there was still a lot of Egypt in Israel, in their soul, in their thinking, in their attitude, in their opinions, in their reactions to life. The journey to Mount Sinai is meant to be a journey of building up your faith. But along the way, building up your faith means renewing your mind, renewing the spirit of your mind. 
The altar call prayer is so important. But there's also something called working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And in the working out of our salvation, there is this thing the Bible says in Romans 12, 2 and in Ephesians 4, renew the spirit of your mind. We've all been infected by the world, by sin, by the devil, by bad stuff. And it shaped our worldview and our opinions. And many times we don't even think why we think this certain way. Mama thought that way. Daddy thought that way. I think that way. The church I used to go to think that, thought that way. They taught me to think that way. And uh, you come to find out what they were teaching me is not biblical. And so renewing the mind, the spirit of the mind, means that we have to deal with negative attitudes. And of course, it's easy to look at uh, your spouse and point out all the negative attitudes that she has. Usually that's where marriage problems uh, spring out of. We're working on our spouse's list. And ignoring our own. <laughs> you work on your own list, will you? You got a pretty long list. I don't want to help you, but your list is pretty long. Hopefully, the more time you've spent with the Lord as the months and the years go by, we, we've been saved now. It'll be 40 years. Uh, yeah, yeah, on March 11th. 40. Forty years ago today, the Holy Ghost taught us to pray. All right. Israel was actually operating in negative faith. You were supposed to have faith, but you can have negative faith or you can have positive faith. Negative faith is believing for something bad to happen instead of believing for something good to happen. I'm believing that the circumstances that the devil has orchestrated or that just life happens and things happen, but I'm believing that the worst possible outcome is coming my way. Negative faith, believing for the worst. Positive faith is looking at any circumstance and says, I don't care what the circumstance looks like. I'm not denying it exists, but I'm denying it existing in my life. In the name and by the blood, I cast you out, devil. I cast that sickness out. I cast that poverty out or whatever the issue might be. And then you lather, rinse, and repeat. Well, what if I have to say it 500 times? What's your point? As long as necessary. Some things don't come out except by prayer and fasting. Sometimes, I mean, it took you 20 years to get into that tangled mess of yours. Just because God doesn't get it untangled by Friday doesn't mean he's not going to get it untangled. 
He might want you and I to learn a lesson of walking by faith and not by sight. Gird up your loins, woman of God, man of God. And learn these things. And so, yeah, a lot of that negative faith explains why bad things happen to good people. Because we can come to church and uh, praise the Lord and read our Bible. But if we go out and uh, express through our words and our actions the negative side of things, then what happens is that uh, you're attracting the wrong answers. Right? Negative faith can't produce positive results. Israel, you can't murmur and complain against the miracle-working God and expect something to get better because God is not moved by murmuring and complaining. The problem is we get out from under God's umbrella of protection and we invite the very thing we're fighting against to manifest in our lives. Israel found that out. They said, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. You said that? <laughs> if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. We'd have been better off if we just had died in Egypt, Lord. Can you hear that? Moaning, murmuring, complaining. At least there we sat around with pots filled with meat. We ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. You want to go on record saying that? Isn't it funny how nostalgia works? The good old days. <laughs> the devil's reminding them right now of the good old days. No, you were slaves in Egypt. <laughs> you were in bondage. Your life was not your own. You were bought with a price, but not with the price of the blood of the lamb. You were bought and paid for and imprisoned to Pharaoh. But you thought it was the good old days. And then you go off and do all of this. It's crazy, isn't it? They were longing for the days that they spent in slavery. And they became their own worst enemy. Who's ever heard of the quote, I have found the enemy and he is me. <laughs> he is us. I have found the enemy and he is, he is us. What we ought to do at every altar call is have boxes of Bibles and duct tape. <laughs> Here's a Bible. And if you feel like confessing the worst and being negative, here's the duct tape. <laughs> James 3 says, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. Your words can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. New Testament. What's the takeaway? Watch your words. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. 
Be careful, little mouth, what you say. There's a father up above, and he's looking down with love. So be careful, little mouth, what you say. And when we get into all of that negative faith, we become double-minded. Israel's become double-minded. They're sitting there watching God deliver them in the most amazing, epic ways. And then all of a sudden they forget all of that. They get this spiritual amnesia and they get double-minded. And being double-minded, let that woman, let that man uh, think, uh, not think that they'll receive anything from God. It plays right into Amalek's hands, right into the devil's hands. When you dig a little deeper, there's teaching in uh, ancient Jewish wisdom about uh, Amalek representing the spirit of doubt. Amalek questions the existence of God. And it's a negative spirit that infects people with skepticism and pessimism, unbelief. That's one of the biggest battles any Christian has to fight, is fighting against unbelief. And what happens if you just don't put that in check, you don't counter that, we don't renew our minds, something worse manifests, where now you're living with that deep seed of contempt, You're mad at the word of God. You're mad at God. You just have that contemptible spirit. And that leads to mocking and ridicule. And ultimately, you're just going to be defeated. So it's not a coincidence that the numerical value for Amalek in, in Hebrew Every uh, letter and each word has a numerical value, and it's part of the deeper study. But the numerical value of Amalek is the same as the Hebrew word for doubt. Isn't that amazing? Now, Amalek dates back to Esau. Who remembers the story of Jacob and Esau? Esau is Amalek's granddad. He's Jacob's twin brother. He's got Jewish DNA, right? But instead of growing up and embracing his spiritual heritage, Esau despised it. Some teaching says he pretended to have values he didn't really have. He fooled everybody. I'm pretending, but deep down... I despise all of this, and as soon as I'm old enough, I'm out of here. And he denounces his Jewishness. He denounces the Lord, his family, his Jewish roots with a shocking level of contempt. And what that does, we've seen it in our own lives. It It happens a lot that righteous people come from unrighteous families. 
But that you got to give that person a lot of respect. If you came out of an unrighteous family and now you're serving the Lord, my gosh, good for you. What a testimony. Well done. Thank you, Jesus. But oftentimes, that generational curse that is passed down, what Esau passed down and eventually landed on Amalek, ruined his life. That hatred, that anti-Semitism, it's an intense hatred, an intense anti-Semitism. It's passed down out of Esau, and it lands on Amalek, and then generations later, Haman is related in that line, the villain of the story of Queen Esther. Hitler and now Hamas are modern-day examples of those infected by the spirit of Amalek, an intense hatred that seeks to attack and kill Jews. Don't be deceived about the intentions of Hamas. It's not about land. They've said it, their leaders out of their own mouth. Their charter is to kill Jews. That's Read their charter. You can go online, Hamas charter, and you read that, and you'd say, OMG, these people are vicious, full of hate. Their very name means violence. But they're not only wanting to destroy Jews, they want to destroy the presence of God. Amalek, way back when, Esau. I was reading a fascinating teaching from, from uh, Rabbi Ari Khan. And he makes a powerful connection between Israel's troubles and Amalek's attack. And in his article, uh, he teaches that Israel's negative reaction is a lot like Esau's reaction. And so you can kind of understand because Jacob and Esau are ancestors. They're both uh, in that line. And so maybe some of that Esau DNA that's what needs to be scoured out of Israel's life. That article, by the way, is called Songs of Freedom, Rabbi Ari Khan, Songs of Freedom. So he says that, he points to Genesis 25, and he says, Yaakov, Jacob, was cooking a stew, and Esau came in from the wilderness tired, and Esau said to Yaakov, Jacob, give me some of that red stuff to gulp down for I'm tired. <clears throat> Which is why he was named Edom. And Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. And Esau said, I am at the point of death, so what use is my birthright to me? What use is my birthright? Just despising his birthright. And and the rabbi points out this is what Israel's doing when they run out of the supplies. They're weary and tired from the journey. They're running out of food and water, so they immediately begin to complain. I guess that's where it, the old saying comes in, fatigue makes cowards of us all. But they test the goodness of God, the grace of God. 
and they get this amnesia thing working, and they forget everything that God has done for them. And when Esau struck the deal with Yaakov, Jacob, his emotional state is described basically the same way that Israel's state is described. I'm tired. Well, just because you're tired doesn't mean you reject the Lord and your birthright. His standing in the family made no difference. His birthright was meaningless. Same thing for Israel. None of the miracles made a difference. Man, you just came out of the Red Sea a couple days ago. That ought to count for something. They were just singing that song in Exodus 15, the song at the sea. And all of that's forgotten? Is your relationship with the Lord so meaningless that the moment you run into some kind of trouble, you just cast it all away and you're back on drugs? You're back in the bar. You're back doing whatever you were doing before Christ. Just give me what I want and nobody gets hurt. And Moses points all that out. He says, look, y'all, remember what Amalek did to you on the road? You were coming out of Egypt, but he attacked you on the road. I know you were exhausted and struggling. You were weary and tired, but you didn't fear God. At the time you should have ran to God, you ran from him. And when that happens, all bets are off. That's what Esau did. That's what Israel did. That's what needs to be renewed, right? And after the murmuring and the complaining, that's when Amalek appears. Immediately after it says they murmured and complained, the Bible says in Exodus 17, what Amalek attacked. It's interesting because in the story, uh, Moses names the place Massah, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing. Arguing thus becomes a test. Am I going to argue with God, debate with God, murmur and complain uh, against God? It's a test. And, you know, I'm looking, you're passing the test, right? How many of you are passing the test? You've learned not to argue with God and bellyache and murmur and complain. Yeah. Even, even Even if you haven't learned that lesson, fake it till you make it. <laughs> this leads us into the second lesson. And it's hidden in ancient Jewish wisdom. And it involves the place where uh, Amalek attacks Israel. The Bible calls the place Rephidim. And it's a geographical location, but it's more than that. Rabbinically, there's an acronym that comes out of the Hebrew word Rephidim. And it means to loosen your grip on the Torah. 
the attack happened in a place where Israel was loosening their grip, taking a hands-off approach to the Torah. That's why Amalek attacked. Not only because of the murmuring and the complaining, but a little bit deeper, it's because Israel had stopped studying Torah. They were tired, they were fatigued. I don't want to, I don't want to get that was me this morning. It was uh, usually I get up about five, five fifteen, five thirty, five forty-five. Finally, I said, enough is enough. Get yourself out of the bed. And what's happening with Israel is symbolic of what can happen to you and I. If we become laxed in studying the Bible, if we loosen our grip on the promises of God, then we open the door for Amalek, for the devil, to attack. It's the, the whole concept uh, that we've learned through the years. When your faith level is high, it's because your word level is high. When your faith level is low, it's because your word level is low. Now, if all you know is John 3.16, that's good. That'll get you into heaven, John 3.16. But at night, it might not stop the roaring lion who's going about seeking whom he may devour. And you're going to need a few more bullets in your gun. Right? So we need to go beyond, now I lay me down to sleep. I mean, if that's all you got right now, it's, I mean, everybody starts somewhere. <laughs> I started at zero 40 years ago. Just, right? I, I got saved. I'm in it to win it. I got no other life. I lived 17 years for the devil. I'm not living for the devil anymore. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back, no turning back. But the cares of the, this world, the issues of life, look, I know they weigh people down. But the only way that you overcome and stop being overcome is because of the power of the Word. It's a living Word. It's a powerful Word. God's Word and His promises are yes and amen. I need to know more than one promise. And it's okay to cheat. Get one of the promise books. Put that, it's your concealed weapon. <laughs> Get one of them little promise books that are pocket-sized. And everywhere you go, when you need a word for whatever circumstance you or someone you're with needs, pull out your concealed weapon. This is what God says. Let's pray that. And that's how you fight the good fight of faith. And it's a good fight because we win. If we fight, we win. 
And we fight in prayer, we fight in study, we fight by going to church, we fight getting up at 5 a.m. <laughs> Amen. So, <clears throat> the third lesson has to do with the actual battle. And in Exodus 17, 11, it says, It came to pass, when Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. Hold up your hands. Say, I praise you, Lord. Lesson number three. Praise and worship. Why? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. Your praises energize you. Your praises lift your spirit and draws the Lord close into your life. And all of a sudden, instead of worrying about what the devil's doing, you're in the arms of a gracious Father and you know everything is going to be all right. I got a feeling everything is going to be all right. Ancient wisdom teaches as long as the Jewish people turned their eyes towards heaven and subjected their hearts to the Father, they prevailed. We're a prevailing church. And we prevail doing unique and specific things. Praise and worship is in the list. Father, I praise you, not because of, of what I, I'm in, but for what you're bringing me through. I don't praise you for the problem. I praise you in the problem that you're going to get me out of this problem. So the pathway to victory always includes putting our focus on the Lord and especially through worship. So uh, I'll be up in the TV room during praise and worship, helping the TV guys. I, that's what I do. Uh, but uh, we've got six cameras, and I'll be watching. And I want to see the most excited, most energized, most grateful, most thankful group leading the rest of New Beginnings into the presence of the Lord. And in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy, there's victory, there's that attitude, I am going to overcome, I feel the greater one in me, and greater is he that's in me. Amen? And then just to wrap this up, the, the fourth uh, lesson in winning our battles is to realize, you've heard this before, teamwork makes the dream work. In other words, you can't move forward being on your own, doing everything yourself. And it's illustrated uh, in this story Let's go back to Exodus 17, 11. As long as Moses held the staff in his hand, Israel had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hands, the uh, Amalekites gained the advantage. 
And in verse 12, it says, Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for Moses to sit on, and they stood on each side of Moses holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Teamwork made the dream work. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, her. H-U-R. I looked up uh, the definition of teamwork. A joint action by a group in which each person subordinates her or his individual interests and opinions to the unity and efficiency of the group. That's what being part of the body of Christ is all about. There is no them. It's just us. There is no me. There's just we. Notice when Jesus said, uh, taught them how to pray, everything was we. We are part of the body of Christ, each uniquely set in the body. And according to that principle in 1 Corinthians 12, no part of the body is deemed more important or more necessary than the other. Because we each have a divine role to play. We, we need to lift each other up in prayer with words of encouragement. We need to support one another and stay unified. We can't let the devil divide us. Boy, there's a spirit of division happening right now, and the devil's trying to use that to divide us, divide and conquer in the name and by the blood of Jesus, not in our church, not in our nation. We pray for revival. We pray for deliverance. We pray for victory. In Jesus' name. So how did Israel win? How did they prevail against Amalek? They watch their words. No more murmuring. No more negative faith. Number two, get back to the word. Sow the word in your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Study to show yourself approved. Lay hold of the word. It's the pearl of great price. Three, learn to be a worshiper. Especially when we're in the battle. Drives out fear. And it ushers in God's presence. Number four, you need a spiritual team around you. Need some good prayer partners. Amen. People that know the word. People that know how to touch heaven on your behalf. Especially if you're battling a sickness. Because when you, you're, you're battling a sickness, whether it's the flu or something worse, you just don't feel like praying and praising. 
That's when you need your spouse, your friend. Somebody from the church, send you a text, give you a call. I'm praying for you. I'm believing God. I I put all these five emojis of the prayer hands on there because I'm standing in faith with you. I'm believing God for you, and you are going to overcome this thing. Nice to have people like that in your life. What a support system. Amen? So, praise God. Lessons from Israel versus Amalek. How, does that work for you? If that does, give the Lord a praise. Thank you, Zoomers, for Zooming in. We love you. God bless you.